Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. In this hour, we're going to take time to go back, way back, to November 1st of 2004, where I sat down with the late Father Thomas Dubay to talk about the beauty of the saints and how they are a magnet uh, to attract us uh, to holiness. Father Dubay was one of the more outstanding figures I've ever had the opportunity to interview, and I had the opportunity to interview him a number of times. He was always uh, very um, amenable uh, to talk. He was uh, he had written books uh, on spirituality, which were rich. Uh, a lot of books on spirituality are just rehashes of stuff that's been said before. He focused had a had a, a, a he had specificity in how he talked about the uh, the spiritual life. He he loved uh, Teresa of Avila and Saint John of the Cross. Thought that they were uh, the best examples of uh, those who achieve intimate union with God. But he wrote he wrote uh, a book called The Fire Within, which was something I think people think that's his masterpiece. But he also wrote The Evidential Power of Beauty, uh, Science and Theology Meet. He loved science. He loved the sciences, by the way. So he never saw any conflict at all between science and spirituality. He wrote Happy Are You Poor? Uh, this is a, a very good look at the Beatitudes. Uh, deep conversion, deep prayer. He had a primer on prayer, which I've recommended to people over and over again. Almost anything you find by him, you're going to be happy with. So I'm going to take time and, again, share with you an interview going back to November of uh, 2004. He passed away in September of 2010. But uh, this is our opportunity to hear him again on the saints and the beauty of holiness. Father, it's a great pleasure to have you back with us. Thanks. Thank you. Glad to be here. You've written that the saints are the most beautiful men and women on the planet. What do you mean? Well, let's start with the gospel, because there's no worldview that comes close to the gospel in its beauty. Nothing. Uh, whether it's in novels or whether it's other religions, I don't mean to be downing anybody mm-hmm. here, but it's just a fact of life that there's no worldview that even comes close to the gospel for its beauty. And the saints are the men and women who live it not only rather well, they live it extremely <laughs> well. Yes. They live it heroically well, almost incredibly. They are moral miracles. Uh, they, they live it so extremely well. I think, for example, of 2 John 6, that all the commandments mean what love requires in certain circumstances in our human situation. Okay, yes. Now, the saint is a person who literally does what that text says toward the end, to live a life of love. So that the saints are men and women, whether they're suffering, being blamed, criticized, abused, tortured, or, or enjoying something, mm-hmm. uh, they're always loving all the time. They, they are clearly the most beautiful men and women on the planet. That would be just one example. Now, all, all the texts of Scripture that are, are dealing with how we're supposed to live, the saints are the ones that live it heroically well. And so this, that brings to their lives an, uh, an attractiveness uh, and a joy, something that radiates to others that can be recognized as beautiful. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, indeed it does. It brings a radiance uh, in, some t- in some cases. Now, by radiance, I mean an unusual thing, which, by the way, I saw in a prisoner once. Yeah. I was speaking 
this is just a little incidental sure. thing, no, but it, it, it fits. It fits. Um, I was speaking in a federal penitentiary on the universal call to contemplative prayer and the summit of it, mm-hmm. and uh, I was asked to do that. And so I was explaining that every one of, I said, every one of you guys in this prison is called to the very heights of deep immersion in the Trinity. And I'd said a few words about that. And this one prisoner, I remember he was over right on my right, about 15 feet away, can't forget it. This guy just radiated beauty. Uh, 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 He was so full of joy to think that that's for me too. Well, St. Teresa is said to have radiated after communion, after Mm -hmm. Mass, and uh, so it, it doesn't happen real often, but that's not the main beauty I'm thinking of now, or it, it's not that frequent, but okay. the, the beauty of the virtue to live a life of love, or as one, uh, as Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11 puts it, um, no matter, wh- think of the hardest day of your life, and the, the, the person, the saint, will find even in the most piercing sufferings just a radiant joy mm-hmm. and an awesome mm-hmm. strength. It's right in the text, based on his strength. And that's beautiful. I, I, uh, one of the things I've noticed about uh, pain in my own life and, is that it's, it, I end up becoming very self-absorbed. My attention uh, kind of collapses in on myself. I'm preoccupied with myself. I find it very difficult to think of the well-being of others, uh, not to mention to actually do something <laughs> on behalf of others. Uh, the saints, on the other hand, in the Jesus uh, on the cross, uh, prays for his uh, uh, perpet- the perpetrators. Uh, how do you do that? How does that happen? That happens only what is right in that text I refer to in Colossians 1, you see. And John of the Cross speaks of a person in the transforming union, the deepest intimacy with God, as, as all, having, quote, an awesome strength. It, it comes from God's strength because the intimacy with God in that degree, degree of prayer, intimacy, closeness, contemplative depth. You see, the closeness with the Trinity is so close that there's a kind of divine strength there. And you can notice in the preface for the Mass of Martyrs, speaking to mm-hmm. God, we've all prayed this. You, choose the, you, God, choose the weak of this world and make them strong. That's how the saints can pray for their torturers, can rejoice in piercing suffering, you know, being tortured to death and still happy yeah. as anything. Yeah. It's, it's a divine strength. It's that the u- union. Yep, it's that, that they're union. Able, they're draw, able to draw from that union. Uh, the question that many people have is, how do I even get started uh, along this path of union? Um, I, we are engaged by the stories of the saints. Uh, we admire the saints. But there seems to be uh, oftentimes a big gulf between who I am and who the saints are. Uh, it becomes difficult to see that they are, um, it's almost as though they're a special tier of person, mm-hmm. a special tier of creature, and we can admire them, but we don't dare be like them. We well, see, in some ways, we're very much like them, a whole list of ways. Talk about that this afternoon when I speak to the college students, mm-hmm. you see. Uh, they have the same weak human nature you have and I have, and what you mentioned about being self-centered in intense suffering, join the club. We're all like that until we get deeply converted and more like the saints because they are other-centered then, capital O and then capital small O's. But in any event, we get get that way to come to answering your question more explicitly. 
we get that way through the degrees of conversion. You see, uh, a person has to begin by at least basically loving God and not some idol. And therefore, there has to be that first degree of conversion. I'm going to give up my idol. Whether it's, whether it's vanity, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's, I mean, lust. I'm talking, lust, sex is a good thing, but uh, lust, mm-hmm. sure. you know, it's another thing. So whatever the idol is, that has to be given up. That's the first degree of conversion. Then the second degree of conversion is to give up willed venial sins. Snapping at people. See, it's not a, it's not a sin to, be, to feel impatient. That's not a sin. To, to snap at somebody, I can get over that if I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I need to get over that. Or if I overeat, or if I'm lazy, deliberately lazy, and mm-hmm. so on, I've mm-hmm. got to get rid of those. That's the second degree of conversion. Then the third degree is to heroic virtue, and that's saintliness. And so anybody has to begin at the very beginning, <laughs> of course. <laughs> if there's a serious idol in one's life, give it up. You can't worship God and mammon, as the Lord said plainly. You, can, you have to take one or the other. And then once one has made the choice of God as my consuming concern in life, then let's get rid of these venial sins. And that's a whole program. Uh, this development, then, of the undivided heart, the, the ridding oneself of idols, you've quoted St. Augustine in this regard. Too little does any man love you, referring to God, who loves some other thing, together with you, loving it, not because of you. Yes. It's a great... Oh, that's magnificent. Great sentence. That's magnificent. Uh, Expound on it a bit. Elaborate. You see, since God is (coughs) infinite beauty, goodness, love, everything, absolute, endlessly beautiful, good, loving, full of purest joy, he's purest ecstasy, you see, since that is the case, and he is my destiny and your destiny and everyone's destiny... Therefore, I, if I start dividing my heart with some peach pie, I like to use that example. <laughs> peach pie is a good thing, you see. And, and uh, if I take one piece, I can take it for the glory of God. If I say, well, I gave him glory with one piece, I'm going to have uh, two pieces and give him more glory. Of course, that's, <laughs> that's, that's phony. Okay. So I, I have to keep my heart from being divided. That is to seek anything for its sake, and not as related to God, and therefore my own welfare. See, there's, there's no real distinction. There are two sides. There's, well, there's a real distinction in, in the mind, but in reality, the glory of God is the same thing as my good and your good, mm-hmm. you see. Mm-hmm. So that if I seek things for his glory, it means my genuine good, your genuine good, and all the rest. So if my heart is totally focused on him in that sense, then, then I can love him as he ought to be loved, you wow. see. And it's too little if I've got some little dinky thing, whether it's peach pie or whatever yep. it happens to yep. be, that I seek for itself, then I love him too little. Uh, and in the long run, you don't even like the peach pie anymore, right? Well, well, you uh, lose. No, oh, you can, oh, you can still enjoy the peach you still pie. Enjoy the, but you lose the joy of no, well, God's see, creation? See, the, the delight in something is not an attachment to something, yeah. Yeah. to the thing. It's not. No, God made things delightful, and there's nothing wrong with being delighted. The problem is that we, in our woundedness, tend to focus on the delight as an end rather Mm -hmm. than a crown of an action. Mm. See, St. Thomas made the point that every action, and it would be true of a saint, every action should be delightful. So if I'm really saintly, I will enjoy scrubbing a floor. That's that's when Paul says, 
rejoice in the Lord always, he means even when things are not going so yes, well. Yes, and yes. I'm in pain, or I've been uh, verbally abused or something. Uh, a saint will rejoice even in that. So the when your your action then, or your enjoyment, or your delight, becomes the crown of the action, uh, if that action is uh, joined uh, with God. Yes, the crown. See, joy, delight is a natural crown of a good act, yeah. of a good action. Okay, and that's normally good, and there's nothing to be gotten rid of. The problem comes in when we start making a little idol or a big idol out of mm. something created, seeking it for its own sake. My guest is Father Thomas Dubay. We're going to continue our conversation. The beauty of holiness, looking at the saints as examples. I'm Al Cresta. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father Thomas Dubay, one of the foremost authorities on the religious life. Uh, he has written uh, widely in the field of uh, what commonly is called spirituality. Uh, he's written on the fire within, uh, which is a, a look at uh, prayer in the lives of uh, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross. He's written a wonderful primer on prayer. It's called a prayer primer, Igniting Fire Within, that we recommend often. And uh, Authenticity, a Biblical Theology of Discernment. Is that one of your first books, Authenticity? One of the earlier ones, yeah. not the first. Not the oh, first, no. okay. Uh, I want to talk about the New Testament's description of the saints. When we look at the New Testament, when we see the word saints, it, refer, it seems to refer to all those who are uh, baptized and being addressed uh, by St. Paul. Uh, and yet we know that uh, when he writes to the Corinthians, most of us wouldn't think of a lot of those Corinthians as saints. I mean, they were getting drunk at the Lord's table. One man was sleeping with his father's uh, uh, wife, another one. I mean, in other words, there was a pretty big mess. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, there was, if we were all aware of that were going on in any of our local parishes, we'd be scandalized. Mm-hmm. And yet Paul addresses them as saints. What does that mean? Uh, St. Paul is using saints in the sense that the church is, is saintly, even without stain. You see, uh, so that saints there is in a, a more generic sense. Mm-hmm. Namely, they're, they're baptized, as you noted, baptized into Christ and all the rest. But it doesn't mean by any means that he's canonizing all the faithful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, by no means. So saint in that sense is, is another term for those who, who are wholly inserted into Christ. And some have sinned grievously and kind of wrecked their spiritual life and the rest. But he's talking about the group. Now, the saints in our sense mm-hmm. we celebrate now are those who have, uh, are in glory. Now, uh, that is in heaven, the beatific vision. Mm-hmm. Not yet risen body, though, except Our Lady, of course, and the Lord. Mm-hmm. But um, so that saints in, in the sense where we were speaking about a little while ago, namely the, those who reach the third degree of conversion, heroic virtue, now they are saints mm-hmm. in the sense of the, the ones who have gone all the way with God, 100%, the people that are canonized, for example. So, number one, they've given up their idols. Uh, number two, they've given up venial sin. Yeah. Number three, they've exercised heroic virtue. And, and not only have exercised it, but habitually do. And uh, Are they aware that they're doing it? Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. Well, they, and they can, one of their heroic virtues is humility. Yeah. See, 
they know exactly of myself I am zero yeah. with with the Lord and what he's done they know they're great mm, yeah. but they, they certainly don't parade it yeah. and they don't make themselves center of things but uh, Teresa knew she was in the transforming union when she was yes. John of the Cross knew it but they, they you'd never hear them parade it by any means but yes, uh, and you can't you can't have heroic virtue unless you have all the virtues that are heroic. You see, all of them. So if a person says, "Well, I'm going to specialize in humility," then I'll, I'll be good at that. <laughs> you see, uh, about patience, that's another thing. Well, that uh-huh. person is not going to be a saint okay. unless they change. Love contains all the virtues, though. Yes, if you love totally with a whole heart, soul, and mind. And and completely, you will have all the virtues, yeah. yeah. Prudence, fortitude, justice, temperance, you'll have the whole works. Hmm. Uh, what do, you, you do a lot of retreats and a lot of speaking, and I'm sure you get question after question, uh, not, you know, certainly in theology in the abstract, but I'm sure people bring lots of problems to you, things that they're facing, difficulties. Hmm. How can they uh, get on with this uh, uh, direction uh, towards sainthood uh, to live it out consistently. Uh, what is the biggest single obstacle that you see between us, quote, run-of-the-mill Christians and the saints? Is there one significant obstacle? Well, yes, you could put it this way. Uh, uh, somewhat a generic term, but certainly it's at the core of reality, egocentrism. You see, egocentrism. Uh, My preference is my way, my pleasure, my delight, my my this, my this, and you see, a baby begins existence. They're so cute. Little babies cute as anything. (laughs) Most of them. Anyhow, but they're extremely egocentric. Completely. So if if they're hungry, you know, and and, uh, so hopefully with good parents, they're going to serve uh, uh, in teaching and example first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to learn how to realize there are other people to con- be considered in this world. And most of all, there's God. Yeah. See, yeah. And we, we struggle th- all through life getting, trying to get rid of our egocentrism. I am not the center of reality. I- each of us is extremely important. Well, the Lord died for you, and yeah. he died for me, too, yes. and he died yeah. for John. Okay. But, uh, but uh, I, I, oh, yes, the, the omnipresent woundedness, it's uh, an aspect of, the un, um, of this woundedness, basic woundedness, radical woundedness, is our egocentrism. Okay. How do we know when we're making progress in the spiritual life? Then? Well, you will notice by, by giving up, idols. So if there's a serious idol, to give it up, that's a big step forward. Parable of the Prodigal Son is, is a classic on that subject, just a masterpiece, you see. Okay, and then when, when a person who snaps at others uh, works on it and stops snapping, hey, that's real good progress. And then fidelity to prayer life, mm-hmm. and, and I'm faithful to it, even when I don't feel uh, so good. I mean, I, I'm em- I feel empty, which could be a purifying type of prayer, very good, but I'm faithful to it. That's progress. This is important, I think, to, to emphasize. Many people say um, they don't feel anything when they pray, or they go through periods of time when they don't feel anything when they pray. So they don't feel as though this is very good prayer. Mm-hmm. You're saying that could be, it could be very good prayer. Yeah. There are two kinds of emptiness. Yeah. Let, let, let's call this not okay. feeling good as empty. Okay, there is there is a real emptiness, 
which is due to mediocrity. Because I'm not living the gospel well, and I know it, you see. I'm not given over my, my showing impatience. I still uh, fight. If a married man, I still fight with a wife and, and all the rest, you see. And I'm not working on it at all. And I'm empty at prayer. Well, of course I'd be empty at prayer. Uh, it's a real emptiness. Because I'm inauthentic to some extent. Mm -hmm. And you can't be intimate with God if you're inauthentic in how you live. Just as a husband and a wife cannot be deeply intimate if they're holding back toward each other in the nitty-gritty of daily life, okay? Now, that, that's a real emptiness. There is then apparent emptiness. It seems empty, but it is not. And that's the emptiness of the first kind of infused prayer that is purifying. You, you want God, it's there. You didn't produce the desire for God. It could be a yearning for him, pretty strong. Um, and you didn't produce it, it's there. But you feel empty. And distractions come and mm -hmm. go, not deliberate, but uh, the person feels empty. Now, that is very good emptiness. I mean, apparent emptiness. It's really a being filled, but the impression you have is empty because you're not yet purified enough to receive the delight that God wants to give. Mm -hmm. What about the experience that is often called the dark night of the soul? How does that compare with this purifying emptiness? <laughs> well, what I just described, John of the Cross calls the dark night okay. of senses. Dark night of the senses. On the sense level. That, that's what I just, I didn't okay. use that terminology, but that's what, mm -hmm. he's, what he's talking about. Now, the dark night of the soul is a, an advanced purifying prayer, which is much more difficult. You not only feel empty, but you feel abandoned. You're not really abandoned, uh. but you're not. It gets at the deepest roots of our egocentrisms in our yes. intellect and our will. See, the first purification is the, the purifying of our egocentrism on the sense level. Okay? Right. Then that second purification, which is an advanced type of infused prayer, and uh, it's very good indeed. So this is the experience of the, the dereliction of God. I mean, he's go he appears, mm -hmm. appears go the absence of God. Uh, apparent absence yes, of God. Yes, the apparent yes. absence of God. Mm -hmm. What is the what's the uh, uh, what is it about us that we have to go through that experience? What is it about our uh, egocentricity that uh, that we have to go through that emptiness in order to enter into a deeper union? I assume by the time of that experience, for instance, that. Uh, you know, the, the gross sins, mortal sins, are not common. Venial sins are to a minimum. What is it about the experience of that uh, advanced uh, emptiness that that has to happen? I'm not why, sure. I yeah. Why does it have to happen? Yeah. yeah. Why does it have no. to happen? Okay. The reason is that you and I, I mean, ordinary people. We, we can get rid of our, our egocentrisms, our sinfulness, yeah. only to a certain extent. And we do the best we can. That is why St. John of the Cross begins with the Ascent uh, of Mount Carmel, book one, is on the active purification. Mm -hmm. Let me get busy and, and do what I can do with God's grace, of yes. course. Yeah. We always suppose his grace. We're not Pelagians, okay? Um, so that I do whatever I can do to get rid of what's wrong with me but I can go only so far. And therefore, God has to do that by the first night of sense, purify me on a level I can't get to mm -hmm. myself, mm -hmm. you see. 
then I still need purification in intellect and will, mm -hmm. that whole level of the spirit of the human person. And he does that in the second night. And he does what you and I can't do by ourselves. So this goes beyond even our... Uh, in other words, even if we, we said, Lord... Um, uh, tell me what it is that has to be changed within me. Uh, this, these things that have to be changed are things that we would not even comprehend on our own, that he has to go deep within us beyond uh, what we consciously are aware has to change? I think, yes, I think that's so. But I also I think it's something that we can comprehend well, we don't succeed in getting over it. Yeah. Okay. See. Okay. Now, now take a married couple, or take a priest with a parishioner. Yeah. Anybody can snap at anybody else. Sure. But let's take that fault. You see, a, per a person realizing that I'm not patient when I deal with people. If I have to be firm, I should still be gentle. All right. But have a dickens of a time doing it. You know, though I know it very yeah. well. Yeah. Now, this person <coughs> should do what he can do by himself, with God's grace, yes. of course. Mm -hmm. But there's a, there's a point where he's going to have to have passive, that is, received purification from God, mm -hmm. that he will be gentle. Gotcha. Okay? Gotcha. Good. My guest, Father Thomas Dubay, talking about the beauty of holiness, uh, the saints as exemplars for us. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father Thomas Dubay, one of the foremost authorities on the spiritual life, and uh, talking about the beauty of holiness, the saints as examples. We were talking about the experience of the dark night of the soul, the apparent absence of God. And I was was wondering if there's uh, there's an experience that uh, people refer to as uh, a horrifying and terrifying experience, where God does seem absent. The universe seems uh, meaningless. They've been, uh, the, the, all their aspirations for significance and hope and purpose appear to be uh, futile and cannot ultimately be fulfilled. And it's a terrifying experience. Is that a different experience than the experience that uh, St. John of the Cross has when he talks about the dark night of the soul? One experience being edifying, which eventually leads us to union, uh, the other experience simply being terrifying and destructive. Yes, there's a huge difference. I think that's an excellent question, and it is not uh, commonly addressed. Let's see what we can do with yeah, it. Yeah. The first experience is really the experience of atheism, face square on, yeah. head on. And it reminds me of Dostoevsky's statement in Brothers Karamazov, where he's putting atheism on the lips of, of his characters and then the theistic answer. Mm -hmm. He's talking about that. And he, he has one of his characters say, quote, to live without God is nothing but torture. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Now, yes. Your, first your first description, I think you did a good job on it, by the way. hope you give me a nickel for that <laughs> compliment. But in any event, the, the first one is a terrifying reality. Mm -hmm. 
You see, because we're not we're not camels and we're not ducks and right. we're not elephants. Right. We we are human beings, and as spirit, we got problems. Right. I mean, we we yearn for the infinite. You see, the unending can't help it. The playboy yearns for the infinite too. His problem is that he's seeking where it can't happen, the mm-hmm. quenching. So yes, it's 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 horrifying. It's one of the terrors of, of being an atheist and facing up with it. I also think that I'm quite convinced of it. That one of the reasons that silence is so so neglected in our life, I mean a healthy silence. Mm-hmm. I don't mean a, a solitude in neglecting other people. I don't mm-hmm. mean that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean a health, a healthy thing. It's not popular because, and, and all the, the, the stimulation of the senses, MTV, for example, flashing things and crashing noises and all this sort of thing. I think a main reason for that, it hurts so much not to have God deeply. The reason we exist, it's an ache. And to to fill oneself with all kinds of stimulations mm. at least dulls the ache, yes, like a yes. narcotic does. Yeah, now, that's yeah. one thing, and that's frightful. Now, this John of the Cross purification you refer to in a deep prayer life, it is very painful. There's no doubt about that, and I'm not going to belittle that in the least. Mm-hmm. But the person does know that God is, God loves the person, but, but feels as it were suspended between heaven and earth feels abandoned, mm-hmm. like the Lord felt it on the cross. Yes, you see, yes. Deeply, it's terribly painful. But it's, it's completely different from this atheistic nothingness. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the uh, close of St. Uh, Therese Lizot's life, she seems to have this experience of uh, the absence of God. Therese, she, you mean? Yes, Therese. 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 Oh, That's yeah. what I say. Uh, yeah. Therese. Mm-hmm. yeah, Therese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Therese. Yeah, oh yeah, she, she had this, oh yes, it was extremely painful. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but she she knew, and this person is not in the least denying God or right. at all. But it's a terrifying experience, also. I think it's her candor in describing it. I, it really, I found very moving, uh, even as I found it uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You mentioned the absence of silence, and the, the, the one of the reasons we don't have a healthy silence is that there is this uh, fear, this. Uh, we overstimulate because we have this yearning for God that we fear won't be fulfilled. Is that a way of Well, asking? the person doesn't have it. Doesn't have the yearning so, for God uh, at all? Well, wait a minute. The person I'm t- I was talking about in that context yes. was the person who has rejected God yes. uh, in his life or her life, you see, and, and does not have a meaningful relationship with God. And that is, that is bad news mm-hmm. uh, in itself and a terrifying thing to face up with it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a person in... And the dark night of John of the Cross knows that he's got God, and but but feels abandoned, experiences mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. sense of it. Mm-hmm. You see, but the person is secure and is most intimately united with God, and is being deeply purified in this experience. Uh, has does have the confidence that they are in union. Though. They, they have the virtues of faith, hope, and love. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's good. That's yeah. good. I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between spirituality and culture. Is it more difficult to be a saint in modern American and Western European culture because of the pace of life, because of the overstimulation, than maybe it was a century ago, five centuries ago, ten centuries ago? I, I think it is. But it, we have to watch, though, on this sort of thing that we don't romanticize other, yeah. cast, un, other centuries, you know, in the sure. past and all the rest, and, and make them a kind of unreal, because there were problems then, too. You see, but... Uh, that being said, I, I think it is more difficult 
to be saintly today than otherwise. I like to think, for example, or I just thought of it as you were talking, when we were kids in high school, we, we didn't have to nearly what high school kids have to contend with today yeah. in the media, for example. Yeah. We didn't have anything like it. We had no internet and all the availability of pornography, yeah. for instance, on the internet. We, it just wasn't there. And so in that sense, there, there's far more temptation in our age than in previous centuries or in an agricultural setting, you know, a rural setting. But even in, in the rural areas of the country now, there, there's a contact with most of the media right oh, now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So that, yeah. uh, but I, I think so. I think it's harder. There, there are many more temptations and they're more blatant. And there's, there's an, in our culture is very much steering toward the, uh, the secular yeah. See, in, in our U.S. government, uh, the judicial usurpation of, of what belongs to the legislature, you mm-hmm. know, the legislative branch yeah. of the government, yeah. this is a huge problem. It is. It's, it's a huge problem. Yeah. It's discussed some, by some of our best thinkers, too. And I, I wish, the, I wish the, the people in government would take a good look at it, honestly. So that also adds to the difficulty of being a saint today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the pace of life more demanding today than you think when you were growing up? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think we, as we were coming over, John and I, this afternoon, we were just speaking of uh, email and all the rest, you see, and, and uh, some people take a habit and some don't. And I, I just have the policy, for example, I just can't handle it. Right. I can't right. get back to home base and find 25, 30 things waiting for me. I, I have enough to answer phone calls that come in yeah. and the mail that's there. Yeah. So th- the pace of life is not simply for me, but for a lot of people, it's, it's much more hectic, I think, than certainly when I was uh, in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, when there's the strain on the individual person who's seeking um, sainthood, seeking to be a saint, that's our goal, what is the... Uh, and and if people fail to become the saints that they were created to be, what is the impact upon the culture generally? I'm trying to get at what the connection is between the uh, prayer of our heart and the work of our hands, the the relationship between our inner experience and our outer life, the relationship between spirituality and culture. Well, there's a tremendous relationship. And your question raises in my mind, immediately, or sparks in my mind, the thought of, of Newman's statement he brilliant man he and he knew history uh, so extremely well and he made some remarks on place that large groups do not light fires it's individuals mm. that light fires it's the saints that light the fires mm. you see and to the extent that i am not what i ought to be i'm part of the problem which reminds me of a funny thing you, uh, chesterton said once there was some editorial in the london times or maybe it was a telegraph uh, to the what's wrong with the world and so on. Yes, that was yes. the, the point of it. And and Chesterton wrote back, dear sir, dear editor. He said, I am sincerely yours, G.K. <laughs> Chesterton. And that's true. I'm part of the problem of the yeah. world. Yeah. If I'm not a saint, then uh, because the saints are the ones that light fires. If you look at history, you will find out that it, large groups, unless there's a saint in the group, and provided the group doesn't smother the saint. Yeah, yeah. you see, and the saint's suggestions are. But it's the saints that light fires. The, the history of the church, the big ones are all the saints. Whether they're brilliant saints like Augustine, Thomas, and Gregory, mm-hmm. and so on, or, or the ordinary saints in the home, uh, married saints included, of course, mm-hmm. it's the saints that light the fires. Yeah. So they're really, so the, they're the culture transformers, even if they're not uh, what we commonly think of as the activists. 
That, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Now, let me just give you an example yeah, of this. In, in religious life, we have chapters. You know, and a chapter, of course, for those who may not be acquainted with that terminology, is a group of religious, they're usually elected or from office, they, they legislate for the religious order. Okay. okay. If you look at the history of religious life, you'll find that general chapters, that's the, of the whole order, can do some good things, and sometimes do, you see, uh, often, but it's individuals in hmm. the order that light the fires. If any fires are going to be lit, interesting. the group doesn't do it. Yeah. And the yeah. same with Congresses and in, in, uh, legislatures and, and certainly courts, you see, it's, it's individuals that light the fires. Yes that lead the human race and, and really modify. Francis of Assisi covered Europe with his friars. Yeah, yes. Now, the uh, individual, how important <laughs> is it that the individual find uh, support? I, in other words, I want to go off into the uh, world of business, say, and I believe God has called me there as a disciple of Jesus, and I am to do my work, my business, as unto the Lord. And I'm willing to, well, I've got some measure of courage and some measure of uh, Christic frugality. I'm out there on my own. Is that a dangerous place to be on your own? Do you need a small group behind you praying for you, challenging you, holding you accountable? Well, I, I, yes, I think we do need, oh, we do need others. Yeah. That reminds me immediately that uh, St. Teresa herself makes a statement to the effect that and here's a woman with the transforming union, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, and she said how much help she gets from people are like-minded, you know, and really love the Lord, and how much support she receives from them. So if, if Teresa can need yeah. other people, yeah. well, I sure do. Yeah. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Indeed. And you in business or whatever, you, oh, yes, you do need others. We yeah. do need others. Yeah, I, I've seen, uh, this when I was younger, I saw many very enthusiastic <laughs> uh, young Christians want to go out with that the idealism of uh, the young and also I believe moved, moved by uh, grace but go, want to go out and they change this they want to change that but oftentimes find themselves not anticipating the uh, frustrations not anticipating the cost of coming up against the mold uh, the way the world has molded things and uh, those who succeed seem to be those who have some measure of support from, uh, I don't know, close-knit family or uh, some small prayer group over here, somebody mm -hmm. who they're in relationship with and can hold them accountable uh, so that they don't uh, find themselves either in despair or off in uh, self-importance. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then also the example of living and dealing with holy people in your group, yeah. whether it's your yes, wife right. or your children or, or, or the relationship or the prayer group. Uh, a good example is a powerful motivator. Uh, we've only got about uh, 60 seconds left, Father. Yeah. Uh, where do people, whenever, I, whenever you're here, I, I, I know people are moved to want to live more authentically. And they often feel they are starting over again. Where do you suggest people begin? Well, we have to begin in prayer. Communing with mm -hmm. God. Uh, the, the, he is the sole solution of, of whatever our problem is. And we've got to turn to him. Uh, so we turn to him in vocal prayer, yes. But let's, let's grow into meditative prayer, which will help us to grow into contemplative prayer and deep intimacy with him. But it has to start with, with turning to him. Yeah. We, we cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Yeah. So d d don't start with these elaborate plans. Just start praying. 
Well, if you're starting from scratch, yeah, start praying. <laughs> Father, thanks. I love yeah. having you here. Thank yeah, you very you're much. Welcome, indeed. Glad Father Thomas Dubay, talking about the beauty of holiness, the saints as our examples. And again, uh, we'll have further information to follow up. Uh, his book's listed at AveMariaRadio.net.